We're in the middle of a series that we call When Life Disappoints. Uh, I'm starting uh, reading at verse 32. Thanks for standing to honor the reading of God's word. And we're looking at uh, seven last words or statements that Jesus speaks from the cross. Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him. Jesus, that is. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him, shout nailed him, to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Shout, forgive them. For they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Shout amen. amen. Please be seated. God worked miracles today uh, as we teach and listen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as I said, those of you who are joining us for the very first time or who uh, perhaps have been away for a while, we're in the middle of a series which we have entitled, When Life Disappoints. And uh, the big idea of this particular series is really framed in the question, <clears throat> how does one uh, live and grow with disappointment? Now, you can take the word disappointment and change it, exchange it with the word pain. Or you can exchange it with the word uh, horrendous heartbreak. We will, all of us will experience that at one point or another. So how do, we, how do we live with it? How do we grow through it? And so we've been looking at the seven last words of Jesus from the cross. And as he dies, he gives us some incredible insight. So let me just catch you up in case... Uh, just by way of quick review, uh, what we've learned so far. In order to uh, live and grow through incredible disappointment, uh, the first thing we say you have to do uh, is that you have to own it and acknowledge it. And so for the last several weeks here, we've been practicing that and uh, a version of that. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do it again because I want us to get really used to it. So I want you to turn to the person uh, sitting next to you. And if you don't know them, introduce yourself. Tell them, hello, my name is, ask me your name. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> wonderful. Wonderful. Uh, and then say, uh, 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 can I, now I want you to say this. Can I be honest with you for a minute? Ask them. I need to tell you something very important. Tell them. I am not all right, but I will be all right. It's good, good, good. All right, turn to somebody else. Find somebody else different. If you don't know them, tell them your name. Come on, tell them your name. Introduce them. Get to know people. Yeah, there you go. Shake their hands. That's right. Very good. All right. That's right. Move around a little bit if you need to. All right. All right. Now, now tell them. Repeat after me. Say, uh, uh, can I be honest with you for a minute? I need to tell you something very important. I'm not all right. But I'm going to be all right. Come on now, celebrate that good news. That's, that's the kind of church we're trying to build. We don't want people feeling like you got to come in here pretending. 
You can be, you know, when disappointment comes, it leaves us not all right. But if we can be honest about it and lean into one another, God can help us to become all right. Amen? Amen. Amen. And so the second thing that we learned was that while it's important to acknowledge and own uh, our pain, it is also important to refuse to be lost in it, to be stuck in it. And so we talked about caring for and about others and let other folk care for you. Thirdly, the third thing we learned uh, is that uh, in order to survive and grow through disappointment, we have to lock in on our mission, uh, 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 drill down on our purpose. Another way of saying it is you've got to figure out a reason when, when the rug is pulled out from under your life, you've got to figure out a reason to get up in the morning. You've got to figure out a reason to keep loving. You've got to figure out a reason to keep believing. So you lock in on your mission. You figure out, why does God have me on the planet as best as I can understand it? And then uh, we learned that uh, in order to, to grow with, survive, or to grow and survive uh, through disappointment, uh, we have to adjust our expectations. Because at the end of the day, uh, only God can be the source of our ultimate fulfillment. Anything less than God will leave us thirsty. And then last week, Pastor Tilden, who did an amazing job, I heard the, I uh, listened to the video. Go ahead and celebrate Pastor Tilden, did a wonderful job. <clears throat> and what Pastor Tilden was trying to teach us, that if you want to survive life's disappointment, you've got to learn how to lean into your face. And what he's saying is that when Jesus cried out, it is finished. That what Jesus did was, he, 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 he did away with uh, the need for us to, to, to feel like we've got to hide behind our shame. He did away with the need for us to continue to question whether or not God loves us unconditionally. He did away with us being af afraid uh, that somehow we are not good enough because he died for us. And he did away with us being afraid of even death itself. Because God declared in that word, it's finished. There will be life on the other side of death. And that requires leaning into your faith. Tell the other person, it's finished. It's finished. It's finished. If you're going to survive disappointment, you've got to be able to lean into your faith. All right. Now, today we want to pick up on another extremely important piece that Jesus teaches from the cross. If you're going to be able to survive disappointment. You're going to have to learn how to forgive. Now, several weeks ago, I taught that one of the interesting things about pain is that either you transform it or you will transfer it. And I know that many of you left here thinking, okay, God, how do I transform it? Because the truth be told, nobody wants to transfer it. Nobody wants to transfer your pain to your kids. Nobody wants to transfer your pain to your siblings. Nobody wants to be the source of toxicity in your home. We want to transfer it. I mean, we want to transform it. And so we, 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 we ask, well, how, God, how do I transform it? Shout how. how? And then I also told you uh, in that same message, that either pain, pain will do one of two things. It will either cause your heart 
to lock shut. You won't care about anybody but you. Or it will cause your heart to unlock. And you will become uniquely sensitive to the pains of others. And I'm sure that some of you left here praying, okay, God, my heart is locked. How do I unlock my heart? Shout how. And the answer to both of those questions happens to be the same. The way you transform your pain and not transfer it, the way you unlock a heart that's been locked up is you learn to forgive. Say it with me. Shout forgive. Say forgive. Come on, shout forgive. That's the key. That's the secret. And Jesus in his dying breath is making an extraordinary, an extraordinary point that if we're going to live a quality life, we've got to learn how to forgive. So let me, uh, let me, let me give you a definition of, of forgiveness, just so you'll have it. Forgiving is letting go. Now, let me just say this. I know it's easy to say the word forgive. For some of us. For some of us, it's even hard to say the word forgive. (laughs) But while it may be easy to say the word forgive, y'all know it's hard to actually forgive. Right? As a matter of fact, my contention is this. At the end of the day, None of us can fully forgive without the help of God. Here's how you know whether you're still struggling with the work of forgiveness. Let's do this, and I'm going to go back to this definition in a minute. Here's how you know. When you think about that hurtful incident or that wounding experience or when you see a picture of that person and your, your muscles start to tighten up. Your teeth begin to grit. Anxiety begins to rise up. A sense of, of, of a wave of anger begins to sweep across. That usually means you have some more work to do on forgiveness. <laughs> Tell the person next to you, you might have some more work to do. Tell them. <laughs> Here's how you know the work is finished. And I tell you, it takes God to do this, even if you're not a Christian, uh, but if you've come to a place where you can see that picture, think about that experience, and have a sense of peace, I tell you that, that, that you got there, not only on your own effort, but because the grace of God was at work in your heart, even if you're not a Christian, because how many of you know, God works in our lives even if we don't know God. So what you're after is the peace that comes. I see the face, but I've got a peace. How did I get there? Well, there's a definition. Forgiveness is about letting go of, uh, which, 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 uh, of, of grievances, which also includes feelings of bitterness and resentment and the need for vengeance that we might be holding against another person. Shout, let it go. go. Now again, here we go. I know it's easy to say it. We all say, let it go, just let it go. Well, I'm reminded when I use the term let it go, I'm reminded when I was a 
kid growing up, sometimes I'd be sitting in a church like this, uh, and I, you put your hand under the pew, and, and somebody would be them put some gum under there. You, know, you pull the gum out, and uh, it's all nasty enough. You pull the, pull the gum out, it's sticking in you, and you try to let it go. But you can't let it go because it's, it's, it's stuck. Right? And then you begin to try to peel it off and it stretches out. You know, this is it's all nasty, gummy. That's how it is with forgiveness. So often we want to let it go, but it's just stuck. And it, it's a process. Shout process. It's a process to eradicate yourself. It takes a little, a little time. So, let me tell you what forgiveness is. And we're going to get into this uh, text. As the thing about Jesus on the cross, here's some things that we know that forgiveness doesn't mean, or it isn't. Forgiveness does not mean that we should condone or excuse wrongdoing. A lot of us don't want to forgive because we're afraid if we forgive, we're going to somehow condone the horrendous act. When Jesus cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them, he was not condoning them murdering him. He, neither was he excusing it. Right? Secondly, uh, some of us don't forgive because we're afraid that to forgive it means that we have to forget the, the horrendous incident. But when we look at the cross, we're reminded that it's God's intention that we never forget the crucifixion. It is literally etched into the annals of history that part of our theological orientation is that we are called to remember to never forget the crucifixion. Here's why. Because when we look at the crucifixion, we are reminded of how evil and hateful and downright inhumane human beings can be, including you and me. And when we look at the same cross, we're reminded about how audaciously loving God can be in the face of it all. So we're called never to forget the cross. So forgiving is not about forgetting. I mean, forgiving is not about forgetting. Thirdly, forgiving doesn't mean that you have to always include that person back into your life. A person may be dead. You may... Maybe somebody you met 10 years ago that's gone. Or the person may be so toxic and so destructive that you need to keep him or her beyond the boundaries of your life. That's okay. But, 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 but you can keep them beyond the boundaries and still forgive them. Still release them. Why? Why? Shout why? why? Here it is. Because at the end of the day, forgiveness is not about them. It's about you. It's about you. It's about, it's about diminishing the suffering you're going through. Uh, just think about this. If somebody hurt you and you say, you know what? I'm going to get them back. And you get, a, uh, you get some Kool-Aid and you put some, some Sinai in the Kool-Aid. And then you just start sipping it. You say, uh, with every sip, I'm going to get you back. With every sip, I'm going to get you back. You're not hurting them, poisoning yourself. <laughs> so forgiveness is about getting you off the hook. 
about them. So, forgiveness begins with a choice, shout choice. One scientist said it like this, when we are hurt, we have an array of choices. We have a menu. We can be resentful, we can be angry, we can, be venge we can seek vengeance, we can, a wide range of things we can do. On that menu is forgiveness. We can choose to forgive. So it starts with the choice to forgive. It requires a commitment to sustain it. And yes, it usually takes time, real time. Now, I want you to say this with me. I'm going to tell you a story. We're going to, I'm going to give you this, show you how to do it. So say this with me. Forgive, forgive. To, heal. to heal. Say it again. Forgive, forgive. To, heal. to heal. We're going to take this word heal because that's the point. We forgive to heal. Take this word heal and we're going to use it in an acronym to help us work through the process, reflect on what's happening on the cross. Now, let me do that, but first tell you a story, true story. In October 2006, many of you read this story. Saw it on CNN. A lone gunman in Pennsylvania went into an Amish uh, community into a one-room school, put the teacher out, put out all the boys, kept 10 girls between the age of, ages of 6 and 13, at the end of the day, shot all 10 girls and then shot and took his own life. Five of the girls died, unfortunately. Five of the girls were wounded but recovered. Now, when the news were talking about this horrendous evil act that blanketed our screams, our screams were also blanketed by this enormous outpouring of forgiveness, which most of the country couldn't understand. And the Amish community surrounded the family of the murderer and brought them in and loved them. And there was a fellow by the name of Chris who was interviewed a day or two after the murder, and he said that because he, is a, he was a Jesus follower, that he was, he, he, he was obligated to forgive. So he, he would forgive. And Chris, mind you, had two daughters in that room. One daughter was murdered and the other daughter was wounded. Ten years later, the journalists went back to that community to see the aftermath. They found Chris. They interviewed Chris. Here's what Chris said ten years later. Chris says, well... When you talked to me and I said that I forgave 10 years ago, he said, I forgave in principle. But for me, forgiveness was really a journey. And he said it took almost 10 years for him to work through what he had to work through in order to get to a place of compassion so that he could release this person whose name was Charles. He said when he got there, it was as though a huge weight lifted off of his life. But it was a journey, shout journey. journey. Took him time. 
All right. So let's, let's work out the journey. Everybody shout H. 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 The work of forgiveness begins with us, what I call holding up whatever the incident or the experience, holding it up and reviewing it, taking a closer look at it. To, 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 to view is to observe, to review it is to reobserve it. The circumstances that surrounded it, the, the content that constituted it, that, that to take an honest look at actually what happened. So number one is we want to be clear about what actually happened. Jesus was clear about what was actually happening. The verse just before I read where he said, forgive me, Luke wants you to hear. He says, he says and he was nailed to the cross. And when he used the term nail. You can almost hear the hammer slamming into the spikes that are pushing their way into his hands and pushing their way into his feet. You can almost hear the scream that's coming forth from Jesus. He is quite clear about what's happening to him. He's clear about the injustice of it all because the text tells us that he is between two criminals. They are guilty and he's innocent. It's unfair. It's unjust. He's clear about that. He's clear about the horrendous pain of it all. I just shared that. And he's clear about the shame of it all. Pastor Tilden talked about him being stretched out totally uh, 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 nude before the world. And he's clear about the disrespect of it all as they're making fun of him. He's completely clear about what's happening. Uh, here's why you need to be clear. Because if you're not clear about the horror of it, the ugliness of it, the actual real hurt of it, you'll you, you will have the tendency in the name of forgiveness to deny it, to minimize it, to downplay it. This is how women in domestic violence end up being trapped in the same relationship in the name of forgiveness because they tend to pretend that it's not as bad as it is. So you got to look at it in all of its ugliness. Be clear about it. Secondly, you've got to be clear about what you feel. Jesus models this. And Matthew tells us that Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And he articulates this. He's absolutely clear about what he's feeling. He's feeling abandoned. He's feeling forsaken. He's feeling cut off. He's feeling, he's feeling isolated from, from, from the Father in the midst of this horrendous pain. No doubt Chris worked through his feelings as well about his daughter. Uh, one being uh, uh, murdered, the other one being wounded. Of course. Sure, I'm sure he had to be honest that he felt angry. I'm sure at some point he probably felt hatred. I'm sure at other point he felt a sense of confusion about theologically, God, how could you let this happen? I mean, I, 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 I'm sure he felt all kinds of, he had to, so it's helpful for you to name your feelings, write them out. The feelings that are attached, don't sweep them under the rug. Stay real. 
The third thing is you've got to be clear about what what was your responsible uh, what was you responsible for and what you were not responsible for. Tell the person next to you, be clear about what you're responsible for and what you're not responsible for. All right? Now, the last point I'm going to tell you is that because what you really ought to do is get with two or three trusted friends and do this work with them. If you don't have two or three trusted friends, get with a therapist and do this, do this work with them. And by the way, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in, in Christian therapists, but I'm even a better believer in really good therapists. All right, so, so let me just make this point. If I got to go to, a, if I got to have surgery, I'm just going to make this point. I'm not really asking folk, do they believe in Jesus or not? Uh, uh, that might come up, but that's not my criteria. I want to know how many folk you operated on, how many lived, how many died. Come on, I want to know your track record, right? Come on, that, because I, your expertise is what I'm trying to get. Now, in the process, I'll talk to you about Jesus. <laughs> Shout, good therapist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you, you need somebody to do this work with. Why? Now, this, 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 is why this is why it's important. Because I'm sure that that father, as he replayed that morning, I'm sure he started to think, why did I take her to my girls to school? I'm sure he started seeing signs and began to kind of, you know, maybe, maybe she had a cold. Maybe I should have left her home. You know how just this false guilt about why he should have... Why he should have done something other than what he normally did. Well, that was false guilt. So he had to be able to get among two or three friends or get around a a therapist. And then he has to ask that person or those friends, look, this is what I'm feeling. Does that make sense from your assessment? Am I accurate? And you need some really good trusted friends. Say trusted. You need some folk who can tell you the truth. Right? So, So when you're assuming responsibility that you shouldn't assume, like I'm sure the father was, you need somebody who can say, no, that wasn't yours. You weren't responsible for that. You couldn't have known. It made sense for you to do what you did. And they, 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 they support you. They encourage you. On the other hand, there are some things that we do that is completely a result of us acting crazy. So there are some marriages that have broken up. And the reason why the marriage broke up it's because you just crazy. Right? So when you go to your friends and you talk to them and you say, well, you know, I did this, this, tell me what your assessment. If they trust a friend, they ought to say, you crazy. And had I been married to you, I left you six months earlier. Right? Because you need a reality check. Because healing requires truth. Tell the person next to you, healing requires truth. So you need a good friend or a good pastor or a good therapist who can help you to rightly divide the truth in your life. So, shout H. Hold it and review it. Shout E. Empathy. This is what Jesus is doing. Father, watch him. Forgive them. Why? 
Because they do not know what they're doing. All right? Get this. His first point. You've heard me say this a thousand times. It's true. Hurt people hurt people. Empathy is not simply feeling sorry for somebody. Empathy is feeling sorry with someone. And, and, and the best way, now, now buckle your seatbelt, this is going to be hard for you to hear. The best way for you to feel empathetic is for you to imagine for a moment yourself in the person who wounded you shoes. Go back to Chris. Here's what Chris discovered about the fella who did that horrendous shooting. Charles is the fella's name, the young man's name. Charles called his wife a few moments before the actual horrible act and made two confessions to her. The first confession he made to her was that 20 years earlier, he, Charles, had molested two children. Now, here's what we can surmise from that little evidence, that little fact. We know that the average person who molests children were themselves molested as children. It's, it's the perpetual cycle of pain. So we can surmise that. Secondly, the thing he told his wife was that they had had a baby who lived only 14 hours. And Charles concluded that it was his fault why the baby died. By the way, I'm spending this week on giving forgiveness. Next week, I'm going to talk about receiving forgiveness. How to do that, which is as challenging for some of us as it is to, to give. And one of the challenges here, what we learned from Charles, if you have guilt, which he had over the molestation of those kids, and if you don't get that guilt dealt with, it begins to shape the lens through which you look at your life. And you begin to pile on yourself a whole list of things that make you qualify as horrible. Now, here's Chris. So when Chris gets this information, he discovers that Charles breaks under the weight of mental illness that pops out in his life. And for just a moment, Chris thinks about what would it have been had he'd been molested as a kid. And what might would have happened to him had he ended up doing the unthinkable and the most horrible thing he could have imagined and molested some other kids. And suddenly Chris begins to see what the old folk used to tell me when I was growing up. They used to say, boy, be careful. But for the grace of God, there go you. And for just a moment, Chris says, what, what, what would it be like if I was in his shoes? So maybe you had a mother that, was, um, uh, that didn't love you. Do you, uh, do, do you know what it's like to have been in her shoes? 
Perhaps she was in a loveless marriage and perhaps the father loved you so that it made you the object of her jealousy. And did you know that, that perhaps she was dealing with arthritis during most of the time of your growing up, horrendous pain that you just didn't know about? I mean, now what would it have been like had you been in her shoes? Now, I know this is difficult for most of us. I'm going to tell you why. I was listening to the Warriors post-game one night, as I usually do. By the way, the Warriors are doing pretty good. <laughs> I don't have to forgive them recently. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but, but Jim Barnett, one of the, one of the CSN uh, broadcasters, used to be a warrior. And he told what I thought was a fascinating story. He said that when he was a young a warrior, that uh, they had to borrow the, the jersey. of the of, uh, They were coming in to play, and, and, and he had to borrow a jersey. And one of the guys who just got off the floor pulled off his sloppy wet jersey and gave it to Jim Barnett. And Jim Barnett said he had to put on that sloppy wet jersey. Now, I'm sitting there listening. I said, I, I, I wouldn't have been you. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I mean first of all, sloppy wet, sweaty. I don't even know where the guy had on deodorant or not. You think I'm going to put? No, I would have went out there with no jersey at all. <laughs> Who wants to put on a sloppy wet somebody else's? Oh, that's nasty. <laughs> That's why it's difficult for us to step in other people's shoes. Because who wants to step in the sloppy, nasty shoes? But theologically, this is what Jesus is doing, isn't he? He's on the cross. He's innocent. And the scripture tells us that he dies uh, that, that, that he becomes sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that he who is innocent is stepping into the shoes of the guilty. That's you and that's me. And he's teaching us that to execute real forgiveness requires an empathy. I dare step in the other person's Now, here's what we're really talking about. One social scientist frames it this way. Watch this. He says, when you engage in empathy like this, what you're doing is you're depersonalizing the hurt. Shout depersonalize. You see, part of what drives us, that locks us into that blame game. Part of it, we all know the person, right? We know the person got divorced 10 years ago. The guy done married three times since then. And when you talk to the, 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 the wife, 15 minutes in the conversation, she starts talking about it. And you know the story. And she just goes on, she just goes on, she just goes on. And what, what's really going on for her is that she feels like that what has happened to her was uniquely personal. She's the only person on the planet that this has happened to to depersonalize is for her to step back, look at the statistics. She'll discover that she's not, she's not in a room by herself. She's in a city full of people. By the way, for the adulteress who marries, the adulterer, let me just drop this for insight. If you were the other woman, what happens when you become the wife? Y'all ain't listening to me. 
there will be another woman. Come on now. Uh, 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 so so be, 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 be careful. Right? My point is depersonalize. It's not just about you. There's some brokenness that's happening. Right? Jesus says, for they know not what they do. ISIS is recruiting young men all over the world. And those young men that's joining ISIS, they are convinced that they are fighting for a just cause. Those folk who shot up people in Cincinnati uh, last night, I promise you uh, that they, they have been impacted by subtle insanity. They thought that there was something right in that horrendous evil. Jesus, what do you mean they know not what they do? I mean, come on. These Jewish leaders, they don't know what they're doing. Jesus said, no, they didn't know because they didn't know who I was. They didn't know I was the son of God. They thought that I was a blasphemous. And they were trying to protect their religion against a blasphemous. They didn't know what they were doing. They thought they were right. But Jesus, what about the folk who are gambling over your clothes? They don't really know what they were doing. They thought that I was a criminal getting my just dessert. And so it was all right for them to gamble. What about the criminals who were disrespecting you and, and talking about if you are who you say you are, come on down. And he said, well, they didn't know who I was because what they thought was that I was masquerading in false religion. And what they were trying to say is that you have now been exposed. God, Father, forgive them for they just don't know what they do. Now, let me just get a little personal. Can I? In case I haven't gotten personal yet. Here's a question. Think back about 10 years, maybe 20. Something crazy you did, but at the time you thought you were right. At the time you thought it was the just thing to do. But now in the benefit of hindsight, you realize you're just crazy. If there's anybody in here who doesn't fit that description, raise your hand. Let me see who you are. If there's anybody that fit that description, raise your hand. Let me see how. That's me. I'm at the front of the line. You know what Jesus said about you then? You know what he said about you? Father, forgive her. Forgive him. Herman didn't know what he was doing. Can you shout empathy? Empathy. And then as we bring this to a close. Uh, so, uh, H, hold it up and look at it. E, empathy. A, I'm talking about the process, the work forgiveness. A, watch this. Adjust your perspective. Tell the person next to you, adjust your perspective. When Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. He does not cry out as a victim. He cries out as an overcoming victor. He believes that in a few moments he will die on what we call Good Friday. But Sunday morning was coming. 
and the stone would roll away. And he who was dead would rise again. And so he saw himself as a victor which gave him the magnanimity, if you will. The, 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 the altruistic capacity to forgive. Now let me prove it. If you go to Acts, and I, and I preach this, I only pray that, that I might be uh, as half as faithful as Jesus and Stephen was. I, I, I'm not sure under certain circumstances, but I'm committed to trying. And, and when you go to Acts, this is one of my most favorite and insightful stories. Acts uh, 7, verse 58 through 60, Stephen has just finished preaching the gospel and the crowd around him got upset with what he was saying and they drug him out into the, into the courtyard. That's just like me preaching and y'all just said, I didn't had enough and y'all just gather around me and drag me out into the street and then they started stoning him. No, no trial, no nothing. They started stoning him. Watch this. And then in verse 59, Stephen, watch the sequence now. The sequence is important. In, in, in verse 59... Stephen says, Lord Jesus, uh, 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 receive my spirit. In other words, what he was saying was, beam me up, Scotty. They're killing my body. Come on now, y'all ain't listening to me. They, they're destroying this house that I'm living in. They think they live, they're doing me wrong. They think they're eliminating me, but God... Receive my spirit as my body falls. You take my soul. I know I'm gonna be all right. That's that's the victor. Watch it. And then the next thing he says, and because as the victor, he then says, and don't hold their sins against them. When you're the victim, you don't have the capacity to be magnanimous. But when you're the victor. You can see beyond the woundedness. And you can see what they didn't know that they didn't know. Oh my gosh. Let me tell you. I'm going to wrap it up here. Before I get excited. <laughs> Let me read something to you. One of my favorite songs. Now listen. It's a secular song. And I know some of y'all don't listen to secular music. And that's alright. I, I, I applaud that. Listen. Because to listen, in order to listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, in order to listen to secular music, you have to have a filter. And if you can't trust your filter, don't listen. But if you got a good filter, you can find some good stuff out there in secular music. All right. So I went way back to when there was a destiny child. And, 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 and back when Beyonce, before Beyonce was the goddess queen, she was just Beyonce, y'all ain't to hear me. And, and, and you may remember the story that one of their teammates there that, that grew up with them singing left the group. But she didn't just abandon them by leaving, she talked about them. And she said that they weren't going to be nothing without her. And it so crushed their hearts. And for a moment... Beyonce and those who were remaining acted like victims. But then they discovered that there's more power in being a victor, an overcomer, than there is in being a victim. Y'all ain't listening. And so they wrote this song. I like this song. Listen to what they said. Listen to what they said. They said, they say, now that you're out of my life, I'm so much better. You thought that I'd be weak without you, but I'm stronger. 
You thought that I'd be broke without you, but I'm richer. You thought that I'd be sad without you, but I'm laughing harder. You thought that I would grow, uh, that I wouldn't grow without you, but I'm wiser. You thought that I'd be helpless without you, but I'm smarter. You thought that I'd be stressed without you, but I'm chilling, baby. I'm chilling. I'm a survivor. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop. I'm going to work harder. I'm a survivor. That's a victory song. Come on now. Right, let me finish this up. Listen, listen, listen. If it didn't kill you, ask the person next to you, are you alive? That means whatever it was, it didn't kill you. And if it didn't kill you, you survived it. Y'all ain't listening to me. Come on now. And, 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 if it's, and if you survived it, come on now. That means you've got some strength. And what God is saying to you, here's one way to measure your strength. Be strong enough to forgive. Uh, I, I, I my wife was, I was talking to my wife yesterday about this message. And, uh, and the last point is the L, let it go. Tell somebody, let it go. That's right. When, when, when you can observe it and then you can empathize and then you adjust your position in the narrative so that you're not telling the story about what happened to you from the perspective of the victim, but you're telling the story about what happened to you from the perspective of the survivor, come on, of the conqueror, of the victor, right? Uh, and when you start telling the story that way, you discover a power. My wife asked me, she said, she said, she said and then you're able to start letting it go, letting it go, and it's a process. My wife asked me yesterday, she said, what are you going to, well, you know, I told her I was going to preach about forgiveness, and, and, and she said, she said, uh, well, what, you, what stories are you going to tell? I said, I don't know. It's really difficult. You know, it's hard to find these good stories. And she said, well, are you going to tell them about when your father disowned you? And I stopped for a moment. And I said, well, I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that for decades. And, 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 and I, I said, well, it's not a lot there. It, 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 because I remember when I was a little boy crying on my bed about my daddy disowning me and asking what was wrong with me. But not too long after, I began to see the blessing that came in the trouble. Y'all, they listening. And, 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 and I saw that God had given me a grand uncle that was an extraordinary male role model. I saw the, the grand aunt in the house that he put me in. I saw that he put me in Cushada, a little town, because had I been in San Francisco, the big city, as crazy as I was, I would have been cracked out, dead, or in prison. But because I was in an isolated little town, y'all ain't listening. Uh, he could put me on a trajectory. So when I thought about it, I said, well, I hadn't thought about it in a while. Because to, to think about it from the perspective of being the, the, the rejected, that makes me the victim. But really, I'm not a victim. I'm blessed. Y'all ain't listening. And, and, and so whenever I tell the story, I'm always telling about the blessing, the grace of God, the deliverance of God, the goodness of God, where God showed up, where God made me into who I am. And I celebrate, I'm a survivor. Shout hallelujah. Shout glory. I'm strong enough to forgive. That's it. Say amen.
Good God Almighty. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on. As the praise team come, you've got a connection card. I haven't flew around and lost mine, but you've got one. Thank you. <laughs> you turn it around, and it's got some choices you can make about Jesus and all that. And I challenge you to take that seriously. Uh, but in, under the response to the message, here's what I want to challenge you. I've thought about it and prayed about it. And I, and I just believe that God has opened up your hearts. I believe that he's brought some stuff to the surface. And he wants you to act on it. And so I, I want to challenge you to write in the response to the message simply these words. I'm willing, comma, God help me to forgive. Say it with me. Say, I'm willing, comma, God help me to forgive. That's it. I want you to write that. If you do that, turn it in. I've already prepared a piece. For everyone who will turn this in, I'm going to write you back an email and celebrate the fact that you're going to be breaking some curses in your next generation. Amen. You're going to become a part of the healing of the world. You're going to become a part of the healing of your family if you would dare do what I'm challenging you to do today. And I'm going to write back and I'm going to send you some stuff to help you to get that done. So make sure you put this card in the hand of somebody as you walk out the door. Walk out of here saying, I'm strong enough I'm strong. to forgive.